The Beat Church, bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. And then Tuesday, and then Wednesday, and then Thursday, and then Friday, and then Saturday, and then the worst of all, Sunday morning before church, which is a lot of times, this is the worst of all. Like, you're going to look nice. No, you're coming to church. You're getting out of bed. I don't want to get Yes, you're going. Anybody else have that at all this morning? Anybody? Anybody with kids certainly has some of that. Uh, so let's pray, and we're just going to continue that topic, because I think God wants to just give people some hope, encouragement, set them free from some of the anxieties and the stresses and struggles that you're going through. So, Father, thank you for your word, and I pray that uh, you will use it today, Lord, to uh, bring life. God, your word says in Isaiah that your word will not return void, but it will accomplish all that you've sent it out to do, and I pray that that will happen today in a, a very real way in people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so uh, the question to start with is, where is God when you're drowning? Where is God when you're struggling and drowning and you can't breathe and you're trying to, you're like, I prayed, I gave, I put money in the offering, like I went and served, like I did stuff, like where is my help? Anybody ever go through that? It's like I'm trying my best to be my best or do the things that I think are supposed to, you know, give, it comes back, pressed down, shaken together and running over, right? The only thing running over is more trouble, more stress and it's getting, it seems harder, sometimes not easier. Has anybody at all ever been through that? Anybody? Okay, so that happens. That's not necessarily the gospel that is most commonly preached, and I would say American gospel, but that's not true because I've traveled abroad, and the most popular gospel all around the world is the gospel that if you give your life to Jesus, and a big part of that is give your money to the preacher, that everything in your life is going to really work out amazing that you're going to get better shoes, you're going to get a better watch, you're going to get a better house, you're going to get a better spouse, you're going to, everything's going to get better. It's moving on up now, if you can just do that. And that's everywhere. In fact, when I was uh, in one, uh, we went to Africa, and there was a, a pastor there traveling, and there was a group of people that came up to the stage, and they were giving money, and there was you know, different lines for different amounts of blessing, and that was based on how much money you were putting in the bucket when you came up, right? So you had like a big blessing over here, you had a small faith blessing over here, you had a like you had these things. And a lady, there's an old lady that came up, just a little old African lady comes up, and she has just a little bit. And they said that she tried to give it, and the, the guy took it, and he held it up in front of everybody, and he says, Do you see this? Do you see what this woman has brought to the Lord? This small, little amount is supposed to honor God. And he throws it back at her and then kicks her. And that was a service. Because it wasn't enough to get the blessing. But if you give enough, that's when you can get the blessing. If you serve enough, that's when you can get the blessing. As long as you show up enough Sundays, that's when you can get the blessing. 
It's all based on if you get enough, God will give back. And then we get into a mode where we're trying to do, we're trying to serve, we're trying to get better, we're trying to read our Bible, we're trying to listen to worship, we're trying to do all the things, and then we feel like we're drowning, and we're like, God, where are you at? Like, I'm doing all of it. Where are you? So that is not an uncommon experience sometimes that people have in serving Christ. It's oftentimes confusing. It's oftentimes uh, a struggle because we're swimming upstream against the grain of culture and against the grain of life. Culture says to live for yourself, and we say, no, lay your life down for others. Culture says to put up barriers and only have just, just the right people in your circle that are only good for your life. And the Bible says that not many were worthy, not many were of good report, that there's not many that are noble, that were called to the kingdom, which is going to make it pretty hard for me to just surround myself with just good people. If he's calling a bunch of unnoble, unworthy, ungrate people to his kingdom, then how am I going to do that? And so there's this principle that God teaches through his word about struggle, and sometimes we miss it. And so because it's not something that's in our mind, we're looking for this picture-perfect snow globe gospel and this walk with Christ, and it's like, I just got to get everything down. It's kind of like the American dream, but it's the religious dream. Like, if I can just get everything right, then I'm going to have the white picket fence, the house, the two dogs, and all those things, and my life's just going to be awesome, and I'll have total peace all the time because I'm going to get things just right. Let me just relieve you. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. Jesus said if they persecuted him, right, the master, so they'll persecute the servant. So we're going to have struggle. Some people are like, well, I can't ever say that or admit that because then I'm inviting it on myself. Then I'm binding myself to it. Well, that's not true. Jesus said it. Okay, we have a victory. You can, you can face reality. You can face the truth that you're going through a struggle, that sometimes things are difficult, that it's not always easy. And that's not a lack of faith. David didn't walk out. If he would have looked at the giant and assumed, try to have this fake faith that it's not a giant, it's just small. There's nothing so big. God is the biggest and there's nothing so big. Then when he threw his stone, he would have missed Goliath because he would have aimed too low. Because he wouldn't have been aiming for a giant because he wouldn't admit there's a giant because he had too much faith to admit that there was a big giant in the way. Nothing's big. It's small. He would have thrown it and he would just hit Goliath in the knee and he would have shrugged it off and we'd be telling a different David and Goliath story. Because you know what Goliath said he was going to do if he got a hold of him. It wasn't pretty. And so it's good sometimes to admit that there is a struggle, that we're going through stuff, things that are hard. And that's not a lack of faith. And so we're going to get into God's word and see what we learn from some of those things. Genesis 39, uh, there's a man in the Bible named Joseph. And if you think you had a hard life, Joseph had a hard life. His brothers sold him into slavery, told his dad that he was dead, and they took his robe and his coat and they put blood on it and gave it to the dad. They faked his death, sold him into slavery to another country, and they took him off and he was gone from his family. So then he gets there. If that's not bad enough, he's trying to serve and do good things and he works his way up, right? Some of you all have worked your way up trying to do some good stuff and we're trying to do the right thing, worked their way up and finally seemed like everything was going to be good and gets to the top. And he's working in Pharaoh's house. He's like, he's right there. He's like inside of the, of the rulers and the kings and like this whole area where all the authorities are. And he's up there working in the house. And he's working for a guy named Potiphar. And his wife 
Potiphar's wife decides she likes Joseph, starts coming on to Joseph. Joseph's trying to do the right things to her. He says, no, 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 no. But he has to keep coming in and serving because that's his job. He's not a free man. And he comes up, and she's finally going to just say, you know what, that's it. You're coming in with me. Grabs him, and he runs, and it rips off his coat. He leaves it behind, and he runs out. Then she tells us she keeps the coat and tells a story that he attacked her. And that's why she has the coat. And so this guy's been working his way up to do good, finds himself now in prison, thrown in a dungeon. And it's not like our jails. There isn't like a nice like yard. There's not a weight set. Can't go get a meal. Like there's not a commissary. Like it's a dungeon. So he finds himself in this dungeon. He's down there. And you never know if you're getting out, when you're getting out, if you're coming out alive or you're coming out in pieces. You don't know. But he's down there with no hope. And now check this verse out. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph, he threw him in prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Well, that sounds wonderful. Well, he was in prison and God showed him, look at this. He showed him his faithful love. He left him in prison for a false accusation after he had already been sold into slavery, already tried to have a positive attitude, pick himself up, keep trying to serve, keep trying to care, keep trying to be loving, keep trying to be a good guy, have good integrity, good character. He gets elevated up over a certain amount. Of time. You don't easily come from being sold into slavery to being moved way up into a leader's house. This guy had to work and prove his character. He gets there after all that. Now he's falsely accused, thrown in prison. And the way that God shows him apparently his faithful love is to... Leave him there, not deliver him, leave him there in prison, in suffering, which also included leaving his reputation there. As long as he's there, everybody believes that he committed the crime. His reputation's not restored, his freedom's not restored. He is once again, to everyone outside of the prison, dead. He's died twice. He's out. But this was God showing his faithful love. So where is the faithful love? Well, the faithful love is, I think, in just these couple of words. In prison. Just that. In prison. Wow. Because it says the Lord was with him. We're pursuing stuff to mark blessings sometimes. And the blessing isn't the stuff. The blessing is him. That is the blessing. And it doesn't sell well, and we can't quantify it, and we can't give it away for an exchange because it comes from him. So it's hard to package and market if you're trying to, like, become a wealthy speaker. But it is the thing that has the value. It is how God shows his love and faithfulness, is that he's with us in a fallen and broken world, in the struggle. Where was God when Joseph is struggling? Where was God when Joseph is drowning? Well, he was there. He was there in the suffering. He was there in the struggle. Not just figuratively, but he was there. He got into his suffering. We know when Jesus came down, he came down incarnated into the flesh and walked the earth, and he was God, what, Emmanuel, which means what? God 
with us. That wasn't figurative, but no, he came down and he walked with us in the suffering, in the shame, in the false accusation, in the crucifixion, in the death, in losing a friend, to, to, in, uh, John the Baptist, a cousin, in losing Lazarus to death, in walking through grief, in walking through suffering, in walking through political persecution, all the things that he went through, Jesus came and walked that with us, and here he's with Joseph, and we know that God feels because he weeps. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. We know that the Spirit of God feels emotion. And it doesn't say that he looked down on Joseph from heaven. And the Lord looked down on Joseph and remembered that he loved him. That's not what it says. It says that the Lord was with him in prison and showed him his faithful love. So the Spirit of God came into that prison and into that environment and manifested itself in a way that Joseph knew, God's with me, which means he put himself in that same place and he empathized and he felt the pain and he felt the suffering. He walked it through with Joseph. He didn't just leave him there to do it and come out because, well, this is a season I have for you. When you come out, we're gonna do other things. He went and got in it with him. And he walked it through with him. It shows the heart of God. Deuteronomy 23. Where's God in my desert? Anybody been through a desert? You feel like it's dry? That's fine. I'm alive. I, don't, I just feel so dry. I feel exhausted. I'm mentally, emotionally tired. I read my word. I get nothing out of it. I pray and worship. I get nothing out of it. I go to a group. There's nothing there for me. But I'm trying. I'm doing all the stuff. But I'm dry. Where is God when we're in a desert? says, you must have a place out. This is a really interesting story, so prepare if you're squeamish uh, with bodily things. If you have any nurses in here, this is for you. Shout out to you for all your service, all the medical people. Uh, Deuteronomy 23, he's talking to the Israelites as they've gotten out of Egypt and they're working towards the promised land. They're in the desert. But he says, you must have a place outside the camp to go and relieve yourself. He's not talking about a rest. He's talking about go out there and go to the bathroom. God says, go outside the camp. And he says, you must have a digging tool in your equipment. Like he's literally giving this intimate of instructions, right? All right, look, go outside and do your stuff. And you're like, okay, and, and, and take a digging tool. Why does God care? Why does he care? I mean, I've been around some pretty rough bathroom things that have happened having four kids, and now another little one, so five, and being at a men's camp. Been around some rough stuff. But I don't think clear up there that that's really getting into heaven. Like God's really like, oh, man, somebody, somebody bury that stuff. I don't think that's the case. But here he's talking about it, and he's saying, take a digging tool in your equipment so that when you relieve yourself, you can dig a hole and cover up your excrement. For the Lord your God walks throughout your camp to protect you and deliver you from your enemies. So we're not just talking only figuratively. We're talking in a very real way in my presence is here that God was saying, because you can't understand how really truly I am actually with you, you're going to the bathroom everywhere. 
and I don't want to walk around in that. Like, that's literally what it's saying. He's saying, bury it. Why? Because you don't understand, but I am here with you. I'm walking through this desert with you. I'm not just the goal you're getting to in the promised land. If you do everything right, if you overcome the giants, if you bring down the walls, if you do all that, then you can get into where God's really at. That's the open heavens. That is the full manifestation. Now I'm in the presence of God. No, he's saying, I'm here. I am here walking with you. I'm here moving through this with you. I'm here going through this health crisis. I'm here going through this financial crisis. I'm here going through this marriage crisis. I'm here going through this emotional crisis. I'm here while you're wallowing in your temptation and your sin, while you keep going back to your addiction. I am right here, so close that we need to talk about your bathroom habits. He's trying to get the point across to his people that he is not just an idol that's set on a shelf with no emotion or feeling and no participation and no relationship, and also to all religious people everywhere that he's not just a universal force somewhere trying to make things become good or bad. And to anyone who thinks he's so far away that, yeah, he, know, he knows I'm down here, but he's kind of like wound the clock and walked away and he's just, you know, tried to do a good job. He's trying to get the point across to his people that, no, I am a God who walks among you, and I'm here in your suffering. I'm here with empathy. I'm here in the desert. And do you know what? The only reason we're in this desert is because you denied me. You didn't believe me when we tried to go in the promised land the first time. It's your fault that we had to stay here so you all can learn and grow up and get some maturity and grow your faith. But guess what? Even though it's your fault, I love you. I'm faithful. The Bible says even when we're faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. It's his character. It's who he is. And he's like, so guess what? We aren't going into the promised land. I'm going to stay here with you. And we're going to spend these 40 years together. And he stayed. And he lived amongst and walked amongst and talked amongst and he provided for them and he cared for them and he took care of their enemies. Daniel chapter 3. Where's God when my life is on fire? I know that's the case for some people. You're like, my life is just on fire. It is out. Like, it is wild chaos in my family, my extended family, my emotions. Like, what am I? I'm just, I know, I'm on fire. I know for sure that in our house, that, that our house is caught on fire a couple times. Yeah, we have a fire department on speed dial. Like, beep, beep, oh, okay, on our way. Because things blow up, things you don't mean to. You know, you can leave the stove on and the gas just keeps going and all of a sudden everything blows up. Well, you, know, you can leave a little bitterness simmering. You can leave a little emotional thing going on that you didn't think about and you weren't trying to do anything for because you just left it. You didn't deal with it. You didn't forgive. Well, but I'm not holding a bitterness. Well, no, but you let the bitterness just sit there. You didn't actually forgive, which is different than I'm not bitter. You didn't forgive, so you left it on, and this has been simmering and permeating and filling up, and at first you started to get wheezy, like, oh, I don't know, I'm not feeling so great all the time. Well, yeah, that's because you got this simmering. This is diffusing out into the house. You're like, oh, I don't know, it's starting to not feel great, and all of a sudden, one spark happens in that home, 
or in your life or in your workplace or wherever it might be and you didn't realize what was going on, one spark lights and you are not even the one that lit it and all of a sudden, boom, I need a fire department and an ambulance and a couple of hearses. <laughs> We're in trouble. But where is God when your life's on fire? Daniel 3, suddenly King Nebuchadnezzar jumped in amazement and he asked the advisors, did we not throw three men firmly bound into the fire? This is coming as his response to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which everyone was being asked to bow down to this big idol, this big statue, and to worship that. And these three, they said, nope, we serve the Lord God, the most high, the only God. We will not bow down to that statue And so they passed the decree. Anybody who doesn't bow down to that will be bound up and they'll be thrown into this fiery furnace and they'll be burned alive. They said, we will not bow down. We will not bow down. Well, you would think for not bowing down that God would reward them greatly. Those are my boys right there. Yeah. Let's get them some rewards. Let's get them some blessing. You know, promote them and give them some influence because they're gonna promote and influence people for me. So they should get some wealth. They should get some money. They should get some good name. They should get connections and favor. Give it to them because they're going to use it right. We know that. We know that this country needs it, that this culture needs it, that everybody needs it. So give them the extra blessing and the extra portion and the extra anointing. Give them all the stuff because these three stood up when everybody else bowed down. But that's not what happened. What happened is that they stood up for what's right. And the next thing you know, Everybody else who did the wrong thing, they're like, bow down and deny God. Okay. They're getting tied up and hauled out, and they're watching everybody else who did the wrong thing prosper and be saved as they're getting drug off to be thrown in the furnace. Not only that, but they said to make it hotter. They're so mad at them that they made it much hotter than what it normally was, so hot that when they, the guards were trying to get him up the, up the ramp to push him in, the guards died, just trying to get him in. I mean, that's hot. I made s'mores yesterday. My fingers almost died just trying to get him in, just trying to get the things together. But that whole people just died because they were trying to get him in. They throw him in, And this is a key part, though. It says, did we not throw in three men firmly bound into the fire? So there's two questions there. We thought we threw in three, so there's obviously not three more. Something's changed. But the second thing is, weren't they bound? They threw them in bound. But he says, look, I see four men unbound, unharmed, walking around in the fire, and the fourth looks like son of the gods. The enemies died throwing them in. And the bondage is burned off, throwing them in. Sometimes the thing that we're going through is part of delivering us. It's part of what we need to go through. I needed to go through that fire because it burned some stuff off me. I needed to go through some fires because it burned some pride off me and got me to a place of humility. And the pride felt good, but boy, it would have hurt me in the long run. And I needed to go through. Yeah, it was a false accusation, but you know what? It still humbled me. It still burned off the pride. It still took me down low where I needed to be. And he throws them in the fire, and this happens, and they look and they see that fourth man. Do you know what? That's because God was with them in the fire. Where was he? Where are you when my life's on fire? He's there. He's there. 
The problem is when we try to equate God's presence with what's going on in our life, that obviously I've got some bad things going on, so God's left me. His anointing's left me. His favor's left me. His love has left me. His care has left me. Because I'm going through a different season. Last year, things were good, and I know God was with me, but this year, it's a struggle. What did I do? God, show me what I did. Because I did something to make you mad. I did something to lose your favor. I did something to make it all go away. I did something to cause my life to catch on fire. What is it that I did? Sometimes it's just that you did the right thing. And there was no way around the fire. It was part of the plan. And he's with you. He's in it. He's never left. Mark chapter 4, but soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking on the boat. Disciples were on the boat with Jesus. It began to fill with water, and Jesus was sleeping on the back of the boat. Check this out. With his head on a cushion. That's not even like the amplified version. The amplified version, I think he has like silk, silk sheets and like a my pillow. And he's like, I mean, he's fully rested. <laughs> Foot slippers, little heating pad on his back. I mean, in like the amplified, like message, full version. This is just actually what was written. Is that he's on the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. While what? While the disciples are doing this, freaking out, they wake him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? So his disciples are literally drowning. A ship is going down. These are not rookies. You got some seasoned fishermen on here. Remember who Jesus called to be disciples. You got people been around some boats. They're freaking out because we're going under. They go and find Jesus so that they can get some help. Maybe at first they were looking over the edges thinking, this is crazy. There's a storm. Everything's bad. Things are falling apart. Things are awful. Jesus must have fallen over. Otherwise, if he was here, he'd be fixing this because they've seen him fix a lot of stuff. So maybe they're out looking over saying, I don't see him on this side. Is he over there? I don't see him on this side. All of a sudden from the back of the boat, one of the guys calls out. Found him. Is he okay? Yeah, come take a look. And they stumble back on the boat, and they're grabbing onto things, and the storm's going in the wind, and they're trying to get back to go all the way back, and he's just back there just <laughs> on the cushion. Like, that's just to rub it in. Not that Jesus was asleep on the boat, but they have to throw it in on a cushion. You know when Mark wrote, like when they wrote this, the reason they wrote it is because that irritated them. They wanted to make sure everybody else knew because somebody wrote this. Like an eyewitness account. Like, we, we know what happened. Make sure you tell them about the cushion because that was really obnoxious. <laughs> he didn't need to do that. He doesn't even normally sleep with the cushion. That was all just to get us. But he sleeps with the cushion. He was in the storm, but he wasn't calming the storm. It didn't mean they lost his favor. It didn't mean they lost their care. Now, he does get up once he's woken up. He does get up, and then he calms the storm. Okay? And that's often taught that what that means, that the whole point of this passage is that if we really have faith like Jesus, if we really have his faith, if we really have his heart, if we really lock in spiritually, that when the storms come, we can say, peace be still, and they calm. That is not the point of the passage. 
It's not the point of the passage. It is an additional thing to think about. The point of the passage is that Jesus was asleep on the boat. In other words, it was never going to sink. Rather, there's a, regardless of circumstances, what Paul learned, I've learned that no matter what state I'm in, whether I have a lot or a little, whether I base or abound, I can be content. Why? Because Paul got to a place where he knew that whether I'm in prison or I'm on a ship that's now getting shipwrecked or I'm getting beaten or else I'm sitting at a beautiful feast with people and we're sharing around the goodness of God, no matter what, I can be content because this ship doesn't sink. And if we're supposed to be like Jesus, which is the goal of the Christian walk, then the goal is not just to be able to calm a storm. Really where God wants to get us to is that we can look around and see a storm and say, somebody bring me my pillow. I'm going to bed. And when everybody else looks around and goes, are you crazy? Say, no, I'm with God. I'm going to be okay. I don't have to see all my money taken care of first. I don't have to see that person apologize first before I can forgive or reconcile. I don't have to see them pull their weight first. I don't have to this. I don't have to like make amends for all my wrongs before I can feel forgiven. I don't have to have all the storms quieted before I can experience what God wants me to experience because I know him and he's with me. So just bring me my pillow, I'm going to bed. If you wanna freak out and stay up and do that, you can, but I'm not gonna worry. I'm gonna rest. That's the point. That's what God wants us to get out of. That's what he wants us to see. In the presence of our enemies, he does what? Prepares a table for us. He oftentimes doesn't deliver us from the storm or deliver us from the enemy or, because do you know what? They're really not that relevant anyways if we understand the security that we already have and the protection we already have and the faithfulness we already have. We don't need all that stuff taken care of. And these Texas storms, when the lightning's coming and the rain's pouring and it's that, it's happening, and you're trying to move from your car into the store or from your car into the house, that spot between the car and your front door can get scary. In our house, literally just around the corner, there's a house that it has no roof. It's had no roof for over a year. Just splinters sticking up that are still charred. And I was home when the lightning struck it, and it sounded like a bomb dropped in our neighborhood. And then the fire departments came, and the whole top of the house is on fire, and it literally just still sits there. It's just an open home to the elements. The birds fly in and out, and there's water. I mean, there's rain. This is it. And every time I move from my car, if it's a storm and there's lightning, I'm trying to move to my house. I'm like watching the lightning. I'm trying to think, okay, there goes one, there goes two. Now, I won't get struck as I run through the puddle. But I'm only worried in between. In my car, I don't think about it. I don't know if it's safer in a car. If it's not, don't tell me. All I know is I feel safer in a car. And when I'm in there, I think lightning can't hurt me in here. I'm good. When I'm in my home, I'm, I'm good. But it's the in-between, the unprotected time. But in our life, regardless of the storms going on, we're always in protected time. We're always in his presence. We're always with him. And so God wants us to get a hold of that, and that's really what his disciples could have learned if they were just coming back to learn from the master. But instead, they woke him up, they shook him up, they got him moving around, they got him to calm the storm, they did all that stuff, and he rebuked the waves. 
But it was an issue of secondary thing that happened. They could have just came and laid down with him. And they could have told stories about how, yeah, we all slept through a storm. It was awesome. That's how we roll. Me and Jesus. But they went a different route. Luke 23. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you get into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. This is a thief on a cross dying. Where's God when you feel like there's no hope at all? I'm dying. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you are dying. Maybe you already have a diagnosis. I got six months to live. I don't know. Sometimes people don't tell you that. Maybe you already, that, I'm at the end. Where is God in my suffering? Where is God with my healing? Where is God in my thing? He was here with this guy in his suffering, in his pain, in paying the consequences for things that he had done. Maybe you're going through things. You're like, man, I turned my life to Jesus, but why am I still paying the consequences for what I've done? I thought I was forgiven. Yes, but you still got to go through some consequences sometimes. What are you going to do? Are you going to deliver me? He said, you know, I'm with you. And more than that, you'll be with me in the next stage. It's him that matters. It's his connection. Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The world's coming to an end. The country's coming to an end. Every country's coming to an end. Cash is coming to an end. Fast food's coming to an end. I can't even get a checker at a store. Everything's coming to an end. I was talking to Sharon yesterday, um, and she said she works at H-E-B, and she got in trouble because she hugged somebody too long. She loves her customers, and one of them wanted to hug. She gave them a hug. They said, you hugged them too long. She's like, good service. They wanted to hug. They said, well, you're in the express lane. That's literally, this is not a joke. I said, you're in the express lane. You can't do that. So I go to the self-checkout, and I can do it as long as I want. I'm just like, <laughs> it's amazing. If you ever see me in there, I'm just... Self-checkout. Good customer service. But even in the end of the age, he's with us. Now, check this out. This is what I'm going to end on. This camera we had at my daughter's graduation stuff yesterday. And it's a really interesting camera. Some of you don't even recognize that as a camera. Do you know what's the problem with this camera? Anybody want to take a guess? What's wrong with it? It's not smart, and it's really made to take pictures of other people. How weird is that? Like, I look on social media, ain't nobody using their camera to take pictures of other people. We're all taking pictures of ourselves. But these cameras, original cameras, the purpose of cameras originally was to take pictures of others and of other things. But our culture, that's not what it's about at all. It's confusing. Like, I look through this hole, like, but I can't see myself. Well, no, it's for taking pictures of other people. Well, what's the use of that? I don't need one of those. A camera where I take pictures of other people and do what with them? Well, that sounds silly, doesn't it? Because that is the point. We know that should be the point. It sounds selfish, self-centered, silly. What do you think God thinks when he looks down at his church and we have his love, his goodness, his grace, his provision, and all that we can be concerned about is, is it enough for me? 
That wasn't the point. It was never the point. As the Father sent me in the world, so I send you. The point from the beginning is just like this camera is supposed to be others-focused, not me-focused. Our faith, the Bible, the Christian walk, the being a disciple of Jesus, from the beginning was meant to be others-focused, not us-focused. And so when you say, where is God in my struggle? Where is God in my situation? Why is he leaving me here? I don't like it. No, but one thing that's in common in all of the stories I read, Joseph, the Israelites, the disciples, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all of them, guess what? As they went through their struggle, as they went through their trial, and they came out on the other side, God used that to make them a greater witness to those around them for his glory and to bring people into relationship with him. Joseph eventually got elevated to help run Egypt and save people from a famine. God used the process, the struggle. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got moved up into leadership and authority. The disciples went on to plant the church and win people to Jesus. The struggles we're going through, it's not always about us. It's about God wanting to work in us and then to work through us. And if people look over in the middle of our storms, all we're doing as believers is freaking out. Why would they want our Jesus? He's not even helping you. But if they can see us in the middle of our worst circumstance, walking with peace, walking with joy, keeping our love, having integrity, and they look at that and they go, I have no idea how you do that. You're going through way worse struggle than I am. But you keep on smiling, talking about the goodness of God. How do I get that? That's what God's calling us to do. And your struggle may have nothing to do with you. It may be because there's somebody at your workplace, somebody in your extended family, somebody in your uh, immediate family, somebody in your life that God's like, I want to reach them. And the best way I can do it is I trust Cody. I'm going to put him through a trial. And when they watch Cody, they're going to know that I'm real. And if we can get our mind off ourselves and put our mind on the bigger mission, go and make disciples, I'm with you. We can look at our circumstances differently and we can end up with a different result coming out of them. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you, God, for this awesome church. I thank you for everybody that's here. God, I pray that you would, Lord, show your presence. God, show your presence to them. Father, show them, Lord, how much you love them and care for them. God, give them a picture, Lord, of how their struggle, Lord, is bringing someone to you, God, how it's bringing people closer. Father, I pray that they could taste it, Lord, they could see it, they could feel you working through them. Lord, that it would be tangible and real. Lord, we want you. Lord, we want you. God, work through us. Help us to keep our mindset on the work that you want to do through us, Lord. Help us keep our mindset on those that don't know you yet. Lord, thank you for your comfort. Thank you for your wisdom and your guidance, your direction, for your faithfulness. 
Jesus' name, amen. Take the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.